Today, we're talking about community. And uh, it was interesting, um, you know, I was out, a, a f- we've had some good weather a couple days. Uh, la- yesterday got pretty hot, but the evenings have been nice. And so we were outside, I was outside with my kids, and we were just looking up at the stars. Like, it was amazing, the stars. And out of nowhere, uh, my son Knox is like, you know, I'm really scared of being in space. I'm like, what do you mean? Like, you're seven. Why are you scared of being in space? And uh, we talked a little bit about satellites and some of that. He had seen something, but he said, I'm really scared of being alone in space. And it made me think of this. <laughs> Have you ever seen that movie uh, with Sandra Bullock? Uh, it's, it's Gravity. It was a number of years ago. But I think it, it invoked in a lot of us a fear of being untethered. My son hasn't seen this movie, but um, we'll wait a couple years before we show it. Or The Martian, where he's stranded on Mars. That's the reason I won't go to Mars, because I'm afraid that I would just get stuck there. I would never be able to return, and you'd just be isolated and alone. But it's interesting, you know, even a seven-year-old was dialed into this reality that there's a fear, a deep fear, of being untethered, of feeling alone. Recently, uh, LinkedIn just randomly to a bunch of business professionals said, you know, hey, we, we're just curious, what are your fears? And they expected to get a bunch of, you know, I'm scared of sharks like me, or I'm scared of spiders, or you're scared of any number of things. And they were surprised by what they got. Anne said, my greatest fear is that I will die alone. Dan said, losing my social structure. Saray said, my deepest fear is being alone without family or friends. And Steve said, my biggest fear is being left out, abandoned, or ignored. We're going to get pretty deep here at the beginning, so I've given the 10 permission that we get too deep to show a picture just to lighten the mood a little bit. This is not my dog, but it is a cute picture. And sometimes we just need to soften it a little bit and have a cute picture because the world in which we live can be depressing sometimes. I want to talk just, just a moment about something called the loneliness epidemic. This has been going on longer than the pandemic, although the pandemic has made this worse for sure. The loneliness epidemic, according to Survey Center on American Life, the percentage of Americans who say they have no close friends at all has quadrupled since 1990. 54% of Americans report sometimes or always feeling no one knows them well. 54%, that's like half of this room. Up to 40% of Americans say they have no close friends or confidants. Y'all, this is before the pandemic, some of this research. They can't keep up with some of the research that's coming out right now, and we feel it. You feel it. I feel it. This is a real issue. Harvard researcher Robert Putnam, it was a number of years ago, he had this, this book called Bowling Alone. Cites more than a dozen studies that say people who are socially disconnected are between two to five times more likely to die from all causes compared with matched individuals with close ties. 
more likely to experience colds, heart attacks, strokes, cancer, depression, anxiety, substance abuse, and premature death of all sorts. Is it time for another cuddly picture? Oh. That's Kermie. He's an adopted two-toed sloth in Costa Rica. That's the reason I want to go to Costa Rica. Let's go back to that last slide. Conversely, people who have bad habits, like smoking, poor eating, alcohol abuse, but strong social ties, have lived significantly longer than people who had healthy habits but were isolated, which is why John Ortberg recently joked it's better to eat Twinkies with friends than to eat broccoli alone. Oh. But this is a real issue. Just this week, another celebrity committed suicide after posting on social media that she was feeling alone. The United Kingdom created a minister of loneliness. We have been living in isolation. Feelings of isolation and individualism, they're difficult to pin down because we all kind of feel it, but we don't, it's not always perceptible to other people around us. By all measures, we can look like we are social beings, we have friends, we're actively involved in things, but quietly, we feel isolated. And it's more common than we think. My wife had started this, this group for young moms during uh, the pandemic, and it's, they meet virtually, and they all assumed, they talked about, they all assumed that the other one had close friends, only to find out, no, we need this. We need friendship and community. David Brooks, a New York Times columnist, said, our society suffers from a crisis of connection, a crisis of solidarity. We live in a culture of hyper-individualism. The only way out is to rebalance to build a culture that steers people toward relation, community, and commitment. The things we most deeply yearn for. We most deeply yearn for those things, yet undermined. <laughs> we, we yearn for them, but we undermine them with our hyper-individualistic way of life. We do, culture everywhere. Uh, you think about culture, what is it giving us? It's giving us Instagram and social media, which just, it's like throwing gasoline on the fire. It just, further isolates us. Culture continues to tell us that freedom, pleasure, autonomy, mobility, more choices, more catering to my needs, these are the ways that you improve your life. We live in a fragmented, highly mobile, hyper-individualized, isolated society that avoids pain and discomfort at all costs. We shoot for independence. What we need is interdependence. We shoot for cancel if something else comes along that's better. What we need is a commitment to people we're journeying with. What we need is the opposite of what culture is often handing us. And therefore, we need to make intentional efforts, intentional efforts to create community. So that's psychology says. Emotionally, we are better together, but practically, we are better together too. I love the writer of Ecclesiastes knew that we were going to struggle through this, the fragility and vulnerability of living in isolation versus community, and, and so he wrote this, two are better than one 
because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. That's just practical advice, you guys. If I fall down, it's better to have somebody help me up. If you fall down a hole, like you do walking down the street, it's better to be with a friend that can help you up. It's just practical advice. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. Hey, that makes sense. A cord of one strand can break easier than a cord of three strands. That makes sense. It's just practical. Have you ever tried to move a piano? We were moving recently, and uh, a bunch of guys showed up to help us move. And I was like, all right, next up is a piano. <laughs> Thankfully, they didn't leave. They showed up. I, I was, you know, like, oh, it's going to be easier. It, it, it's deceiving. It's like, oh, you know, like, we've lifted wood things, you know, like this big before. You know, it's like, it can't be heavier than a couch, right? It is. There's a lot of metal and ivory and whatever else is inside of a piano. And, uh, and so they showed up. And afterwards, the guys are still sending me their chiropractor bills. They're like, <laughs> we're ruined for life. But it, it, was, it reminded me, Randy and Simon and the guys that came to help me move this piano, that practically speaking, we are better together when we're moving, when we have needs in our lives that arise, it's good to have friends, brothers, and sisters that can come and help you. And when we're tethered with other people, we're stronger. In the last few weeks, we've, we've kind of been talking about this, and so I, I don't want to spend too much time on, on that, the practicality of it, but it, it's important for us to have friends and to have people we can count on. But spiritually, spiritually, we are better together. And spiritually, we are the best together. Psalm 68.6 says, God sets the lonely in families. And he did this through his son, Jesus. God sent Jesus to us to model what community should look like. And Jesus was deeply rooted in community. He was deeply tethered to some friends, a few really close friends, a group of 12 friends, and then to a larger group. And we need all three sizes. You know, sometimes we try to fill the isolation void with our spouse. We need more than just our spouse for community. We need more than just our nuclear family for community. We need friends. We need groups of 10 to 12 people in commitment over a long series of time together. People that can see our shadow side. We don't like to show our shadow side, but we need that. Otherwise, we'll become more and more lonely and isolated. If we don't get out of the cycle, it just repeats and repeats and repeats. And we can go for years with isolation and loneliness, kind of right beneath the surface. And Jesus says, this is my commandment, that I command you guys. If I'm going to command you anything, love each other in the same way I have loved you. Jesus says, you are important. I want to know your name. 
I want to be connected to you. I want to share in your pain and suffering. I want to be in the midst of your everyday life. I want to celebrate with you in the joys of life. In the same way that Jesus loves us. And do we believe that? Jesus loves you. Jesus really, really loves you. In the same way, we should have people that we are investing into and loving. And he's our model. You see, God's plan is for nobody to feel alone. For everybody to be known. For everyone to be loved and cared for and cherished. And God's plan for that is the church. God's plan is the church. So the early church, we're going to dive into the early church. I'm going to spend the rest of our time here. Because it's important for us to sometimes go forward, we got to go back. What was the early church built around? So Acts 2, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Acts 2. And uh, we're going to hang out here for a minute. The early church, they didn't know what to do. They were like, you know, huddled together in fear. Jesus is gone. What do we do? And then they formed a community. It says this 2, verse 42, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. These have been known as what we call the four marks of the church. Okay, this is what we should be about. If we're going to summarize the four marks of the early church. Teaching, we're going to summarize common life, breaking of bread, and to prayer. And it actually goes on to say, everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple. They broke bread in their homes. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together. I love it. With glad and sincere hearts. Praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people, and the Lord continued to add to their number. And it's easy for us to look at this and just say, you know, that was the early church, that was utopia, right? You know, Jesus had been there. But a couple verses earlier, we we often miss that Peter warned people, pleaded with them. He said, save yourselves from this corrupt and crooked generation. Save yourselves from this crooked generation. I've heard some of you say that to me. (laughs) Save yourself from this corrupt government or generation or whatever. And sometimes we we forget that the church actually went on to face racism, income inequality, power dynamics, persecution, leadership splits, false teaching, debates over theology, disagreements on secondary issues. The list goes on and on and on and on. But they continued to come back to teaching, the breaking of bread, the sharing of common life, and to prayer, to deal with everything that they were going through. Because God's plan for the church hasn't changed. God's plan for us to not be lonely, to be united and tied into family and friendship, into true community, authentic community, is still the church. And could it be that the mess that the early church 
experience is similar to the mess that we're, we're going through in many ways. And could it be that the way forward for the early church is the way forward for us? I think the answer is yes. <laughs> Let's go back and look at how we move forward. Community is a byproduct of committed, life-centered around Jesus and self-giving relationships. This is the quote that Matt has thrown up the last couple weeks, and I, I think it's so good for us. John Mark Comer says, live in a thick web of interdependent relationships. Quietly defy the individualism that is wreaking havoc across the West. Surrender your autonomy to love. That is hard. Because culture says, no, hold on to your autonomy. We surrender our autonomy to love. Self-sacrificial love in the model of Jesus. Place yourself in the constraint of community. Wait, constraint? Shouldn't I have more freedom? No, within the constraint of community. A committed life is the way forward. For it is there we are actually set free. And so um, we come together and we practice every week coming and, and focusing on the teaching of the good news of Jesus. I found this interesting when I was looking at the other surveys. People who do not attend church at all were significantly less happier on average. People who attend church 20 times a year, so 20 times a year, raise your hand, I'm just joking, don't raise your hand. 20 times a year, average happiness. People who attend church every week are the happiest people in America. It's a good job. You're going to walk out of here with joy and happiness. I mean, coming to church, being with God's people, turning our hearts and minds toward him in worship leads to a happier life. Go figure, right? Go figure. If you just walk in our lobby on Sundays, you can feel the electricity, the excitement, the energy of God's people practicing this coming together in community. And that's the first step. We have to be tethered to a community, a church. We continue to meet together as the early church did, and we're not going to stop meeting together, whether we have to do it virtually or in person or whatever the season or challenge, whatever's going on out there, we will continue to come back. Hebrews 10 says, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Are some in the ha habit of giving this up? Yes. You don't have to look very far. But let us encourage one another, I love this, all the more as you see the day approaching. My question is, are we getting closer to the day approaching or further away? Closer. All the more. So as we go further and further throughout history, should we be meeting in community less? Or should we be meeting in community more? More, and yet the trend has been the opposite. The trend in our culture has been tearing us apart from community. And he says it clearly, all the more. And so the first step is, is coming and being a part of a community, finding a church and committing to it, serving, being involved in what we have going on, picking up foster boxes. It's a committed life that will bear fruit. It's a byproduct. Community is a byproduct. We can't just add on community and say, I've got it. No, it's a byproduct by a life centered around Jesus. Now, the rest of these, the common life, breaking of bread into prayer, 
I'm going to kind of summarize into six, six things I think that we should be doing as, as a community. So we should come be a part of church on Sundays, but then six other things. And um, you see them here. Join a group. Invite someone to dinner. Take a genuine interest in others. This is my best attempt at kind of summarizing what we see in Acts. Give something you own to someone else who could use it. Now, this is updated for our generation. Send a text or email. Even better if you can show up in person or give a phone call. And pray for one another. Now, the same survey that was talking about church, it was actually, according to studies, those who had not been a part of a small group at a church but decided to join one, cut the risk in dying in half. Which is why our, our group slogan is join a group or die. <laughs> Matt didn't give me permission to say that, but I'm the community life pastor, and so, uh, you know, unapologetically, join a group. We have worked so hard to create opportunities, but we can't, we can't do everything for you. And, and, and I really do believe that groups, smaller gatherings, are the best environment to experience friendship and growth and care for one another. There's no way on a Sunday morning in the lobby or, you know, this group, this larger gathering for us to really know what one another is going through and to really show up for each other. Here are a few options for groups. Um, and the, there's some needs with this. So a young family group. We have a place close to the church. We have some young families that are ready to jump into community together. We just need somebody to lead and facilitate a conversation. And like Karen said in the video, I'm not qualified. I didn't feel qualified. You are qualified. We need somebody to help with that. Sunday night dinner group. This is a new one that we um, um, just, just created this week. And so there's opportunity in South Scottsdale to jump in to a dinner group with people. The Sunday night group, we're trying to create a place uh, for, for parents to meet while their students are going to student life on Sunday nights from 6 to 7.30. Again, we need somebody to help kind of facilitate that. We're trying to create the space for that to happen. Be the bridge. Talk about unity and the conversation of racism and how can we be a bridge of reconciliation. It's an awesome group. You can do that. Women's, men, men's Bible studies, moms and prayers, Monday mornings at 9, Alpha. These are just a few. We have over 40 groups that you can be a part of. Choose one or create your own. Some of you are already grouping. That's awesome. We don't want to take you away from you already grouping with your friends, but we would love for you to make it a little bit more intentional. What are we talking about? How are we getting into the depth of life, the things that really help us grow? Number two, invite someone over for dinner. I think this is, this is crucial because we can't assume people already have friends and they're already doing this. A lot of times we assume other people are are invited to dinner with their friends. The reality is the more times I invite people to dinner, the more times I realize they had nothing on their calendar whatsoever. And, and it, this radically ordinary hospitality, that's the name of a book. Rosario Butterfield has a book called The Gospel Comes with a House Key, Practicing Radically Ordinary Hospitality. And its premise is basically this, eat together with people. 
so much changes at the table. Not all of our groups need to eat together. You know, that's not a, a requirement for being in a group. I just think that this is a requirement for us being followers of Jesus. We should be inviting people to the dinner table to share life with one another. Number three, take a genuine interest in others. Jesus says, my command is to love one another as I have loved you, remember? And he takes a genuine interest in us. And we need to reciprocate this. I was, uh, I'm part of a version men's Bible study, too. And, and this quote came up this week. Have any of you heard of Dale Carnegie? Yeah. In college, I read a book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. How to Win Friends. And, and he pretty much said, remember people's name, okay, first of all. Remember people's name. And I try to do that. I, I, sometimes I struggle with that, but I've gotten better at remembering people's names. It's so important. But then he says this. I love it. You can make more friends in two months by becoming interested or curious in other people than you can in two years by trying to get other people interested in you. That is a practical takeaway from today. Find a genuine interest in the people that you're interacting with on Sundays or throughout the week. Watch how far it takes you. Number four, give something you own to someone else who could use it. We have an opportunity in the lobby with foster boxes to do that today. I have a friend, I am not good at this, but I have a friend that I, I can't even compliment him anymore because I'm like, dude, I love your hat. And he's like, here you go. I'm like, no, I, I, don't, I didn't say I want your hat. I'm just saying it's a cool hat, you know? He would literally give the shirt off his, his back. And he's like the happiest person in the world. It's amazing to me when we let go of possessions, how much joy and happiness that brings to our lives. We need to practice this. It doesn't come organically. We have to intentionally create opportunities to give to other people around us. Number four. Five, send a text or email of encouragement. And really, if you're looking for a challenge this week, here's the challenge. Send three texts of encouragement this week and watch what God does with it. Just send three texts to people just saying, hey, I really care about you. I hope you're having a great week. Watch what God does with that. And then number six, pray for one another. Pray for one another. Care for people. Here's a reality. Trauma is not the same as suffering. Okay? Trauma is going through suffering alone. All of us have suffering. All of us have challenging times. But when you're going through it alone, that's traumatic. But when you have a community that loves and cares for you, supports you, prays for you, you can get through anything. You can get through anything. Our, we were pregnant. I wasn't pregnant. My wife was pregnant. <laughs> I say we because it helps. I don't know. You know, I already feel like I'm, I'm you know, the dad. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect timing. <laughs> My wife was seven months pregnant and woke, woke up and she was having contractions. I didn't, I didn't think I was going to get emotional. 
was the most scared I've ever been as a dad. And we got in the car, and I sent a couple texts. Pray for us. Seven months. If we have this baby, it's, it's probably not going to survive. And as I was driving, there was this prayer buzz in my pocket. Zzz. Zzz. And I knew with every single buzz in my pocket, there was another friend saying, we're praying. We got you. We're there for you. It made a profound impact on my life to know in my darkest moment, my scariest moment, I had friends and community that loved me, that cared for me, were praying for me. And the contractions stopped. We got to the hospital and miraculously, the doctors were like, you were, you were in labor. Somehow the labor has stopped. And now we have a beautiful two-year-old girl named Amelie, and I really believe it's because of the prayers of my community. It's because of that prayer buzz in my pocket. And the problem for us is that a lot of times we wait. We wait for those moments to, to call somebody, and we're like, I don't even know who to call. The time is now to create that community. If you're waiting for that moment, you may not know who to call, who to text. Find that community now so when it happens, and it's going to happen to all of us, these seasons, these challenges, so when it happens, you have somebody to text and call. Pray for one another. And this, this is what Jesus did for us. Jesus says in John 17, I pray, I pray, Father, that they all, this is us, this is the church, that they all will be one, just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe. He prayed for us to be tethered together, not isolated, not alone, to be together in community, and the hope that he had for the church is the same hope that we have today. And so, really, honestly, from experience, community is so important, and we are better together. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for the church, your bride. We thank you for the beauty of people coming together and supporting and loving us through all the storms and challenges of life. We thank you for tethering us together. And we turn our hearts and minds towards you, God, in response because you're a good father. And your grace and your love poured out on us is the best gift we could ever receive. In Jesus' name, amen.